during Lent, we've been looking at the four servant songs in Isaiah. So this is the third one of the four. And um, before we dive into this particular servant song, um, you should know that we've been talking about how the servant might both represent Israel and Jesus Christ. And, uh, and in this servant song, it actually becomes more and more clear that this seems to be pointing to an individual um, who is doing something on behalf of others, on behalf of the people. And that becomes even more clear by the time we get to the fourth servant song. Um, so here, a lot of what we're going to talk about is talking about how this servant song points to Jesus, but may also give us some insight into what it means for us also to be servants of God. There's two things to, to maybe notice in this servant song is, first of all, uh, the word servant actually doesn't appear in it. Um, the servant isn't really mentioned actually until after the servant song uh, is finished. So when you get to verse 10, um, which is after the servant song, verses 4 to 9, then the servant's mentioned. Um, but you can see that verses 4 to 9 are clearly about the servant that has been mentioned in the previous two and will be mentioned in the last one. Um, so that's kind of an odd thing. The second thing that uh, you'd like to notice about this servant song as a whole is God is called something. God is called the Lord God four times in this servant song. And God is called the Lord God only in this servant song. Okay, not in the other four. God is sometimes just called God, or sometimes just the Lord. But here, the Lord God. And uh, we need to know something a little bit about this term, the Lord God, because this is a particular translation from, from Hebrew. Um, usually in your English Bibles, you'll see, if you see Lord in the Old Testament, it'll, have, it'll be all in capital letters a lot of the time. So rather, like, every single letter of the word Lord will be in capital letters. If you see that in the Old Testament, that means that the actual Hebrew word is Yahweh. Um, but the Jewish people believe that it's too, you, you should never say Yahweh like I just did. Um, uh, instead, you, you should simply say Adonai, which is the Hebrew word for Lord. So that's why you see Lord there in all caps. Okay? But sometimes in the Old Testament and all the time in the New Testament, you'll see Lord in lowercase, or just with one large case L, and then O-R-D will be the lowercase, um, like in this situation. So when you see that, that's not, Yahweh isn't there. Um, it's the word Lord. It actually is the word Lord. Or you can substitute the word master, or king, or sovereign, okay? So here we have the Lord God. Um, interestingly, in some translations, you'll see that God is actually in all capitals here, and that's because in the Hebrew text, it actually says Yahweh there. So just to confuse you all at the beginning of a sermon. Um, so I don't know what Jews would say when they're reading this, but it, they might say Adonai, Adonai, because essentially it's saying Lord Yahweh, which is interesting. And that's, that term isn't used that often in the Old Testament, but here it's four times in just a few verses. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that uh, this seems to, Isaiah or whoever is writing this, it seems to be beating us over the head with the fact that God is the master or God is the Lord or the sovereign? Um, 
I'm not exactly sure why it has to be in there, but it does remind us that God is in charge. That God is ultimately in charge. God is the Lord, the master, the king, the sovereign. I kind of like this as a translation to, to think of it as um, the sovereign Lord. I like that because sovereignty, this idea of God's sovereignty means that God can do what he wants. We're not sovereign. Even over our own lives, God is sovereign. God is Lord. And we find out that in this servant song, we, we start to see, and even more in the last one, we start to see God, the Lord God, the sovereign Lord, has a plan. So not only can God do whatever he wants, God is putting a particular plan into place to implement. And it's God's choice. God is the one that's chosen to do it. God has chosen the servant for a particular task. And we're reminded in this one four times, this is God's doing, this is God's plan, this is the sovereign Lord who's doing this. God is the primary agent. God is not reactionary. Sometimes even in our prayers, we treat God as though God is reactionary. We come with our list like we just did uh, in our prayers of the people. God, please take care of these things. But, and, and God responds, but God is not sort of reactive to us. God is proactive. God is doing things. And we're reminded of that here, the Lord God. All right, so let's dive into the, the actual text here, verse 4. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher. Uh, this is what the NRSV says. Actually, um, the King James Version says, the tongue of the learned. And NIV, New International Version, says, given me a well-instructed tongue, which is maybe the best of all, but I kind of like tongue of the learned. We heard last week in the, third, or the second servant song in Isaiah 49, verse 2, it talked about the servant's mouth being like, what? A sword. And so this kind of should remind us, remind us of that. The tongue of the learned or of a teacher. Um, the word learned appears two other times in the book of Isaiah, and both times it's talking about disciples who learn from having an intimate association with a master, like they're apprentices of a master. And the way they learn is not just from listening to a sermon or reading or something like that. It's through an intimate connection with that master in those two places in Isaiah chapter 8 and 54. And so is that the case here? Is the servant a learned one and then the sovereign Lord is his master? I think so in a way, but we also need to hold and remember that Jesus is also God. Um, but if we think about this as this intimate knowledge, it makes a little more sense, doesn't it? Because it's that Jesus knows what God knows the way, uh, the way a disciple or an apprentice is at the end of their apprenticeship, they now know everything the master knows, right? So that's kind of how we've got to see Jesus, in a sense, is he knows what God knows the same way an apprentice at the end of their apprenticeship knows what their master knows. It's that intimate. And that was an intimate relationship in the ancient world. That would be more of a work relationship for us now. We wouldn't necessarily think of it that way. 
but it's a very, very close relationship in the ancient world. Another way of thinking about this, because it's related to uh, what the servant is going to say, is that the servant's message is God's message. They're equivalent. The same way a fully trained disciple can fully represent their master to somebody else, Jesus can represent God. Their message is identical. That's just the beginning of verse 4. As we move through verse 4, we can, say, we can see uh, that the servant has been given the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. And this actually gives us a glimpse into Christ's mission. How many times um, this week did you ask someone, how are you doing? And their answer was not the normal fine. It was the new normal of, oh, I'm busy. Or, oh, I'm tired. That's actually the new normal answer, by the way, to the how are you doing question. It's not fine anymore. People used to say, oh, I'm fine. Now people say, oh, I'm busy. That's the new normal in North America anyway. We need to reclaim the word that Christ brings. A word that is given to sustain the weary, the tired. Now, again, the King James, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know, we don't want to lose the King James. We're not going to read from the King James all the time, but you need to go back to the King James sometimes because it gets the wording right in this case as well. This is what the King James says. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. That's a great phrase. A word in season to him that is weary. What does that mean, a word in season? It means the perfect word, the perfect thing, the perfect thing to say at the right time. A timely word, a word in season to the one who is weary. Notice in the King James that the word sustain is not there. That's because the word sustain is actually not there in Hebrew. We put it in to make the English sound a little more modern and make a little more sense to us because people don't know what hearing a word in season means. But the problem is the sustain makes it sound as though by Christ's word, you're going to be able to get through this busy season. Like, he'll sustain you so you'll be able to kind of barely survive, right? Like sustain can sound like that, right? He'll sustain you long enough through this weary time, and then once you're through the weary time, then you don't really need sustaining anymore. You're fine. But that's not what the Hebrew says. It doesn't say, well, he'll just keep you going. It's that Christ can supply just the right word, just the right message, just the right hope when you are weary. And for some, this might be a word that is about sustaining to get you through. But for others, it might actually be about lifting your burden off you completely. That's not about sustaining. That's just, we're removing it. Gone. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29, says this, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The yoke is, uh, is what servants or slaves would, would have around their necks or 
would use to carry water or something like that. So Jesus uses a really interesting phrase, doesn't he? Take my yoke upon you. Become my servant is essentially what he's saying. Become my slave, the way I'm a slave for God, the way I'm a servant for God. And what do we do when we come to Jesus? What are we supposed to do to re receive this rest, to, to, to have our heavy burdens lifted off of us? What are we supposed to do besides take this yoke upon us? We are to learn from him. And listen to the rest of verse 4 from Isaiah. Morning by morning, he wakens. This is God. The servant is talking about God. Morning by morning, he wakens. Wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. What is the servant doing? The servant is learning. We are asked to learn as he learns. The servant hears from God every morning, is what he's saying. Franz Delis, who is a scholar who wrote uh, commentary after commentary on the Bible in the mid to late 1800s, he points out that this is about how the servant receives his prophetic inspiration. And he says it's actually not primarily through dreams or visions or some grandiose thing that takes place. He says it's daily, day after day, morning by morning, he hears from God. It's in the grind. It's not, it's not at the big conference you go to or... It's not at the big event or the big splashy thing. Yeah, you can hear from God in those times. But it's morning by morning hearing. John Oswalt in his commentary points out that the servant can speak with a learned tongue because he has listened with a disciple's ear. I like that phrase. And then verse 5 in our, in our uh, servant song it builds on this, right? It says, the Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. See, Jesus is perfectly obedient to God's word and God's message. And who else can claim this but Christ? Who else could actually say this? The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I can't say that. Oh yeah, everything I've heard from God, I've always done it. And everything I heard that God said, you're not supposed to do that, I always listen to that too. The only person who can say that is Jesus. And he did say it in a way in John chapter 8, verse 29. He said, and the one who sent me, that is God, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to him. Always. I always do what is pleasing to him. I can't claim that. Only Jesus could say that sentence and be being honest. Jesus is obedient completely to God, even when it leads to his suffering. All right, so listen to the, the other verses, verse 5 and 6. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did, I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me. He was obedient, and it led to his suffering. He did it anyway. I gave my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. As we get to Holy Week, you'll hear that again. You'll hear that that's what happened to him. He was obedient to God, even though it led to his suffering and ultimately his death. This actually points to 
the Holy Week story. It also points to what is going to take place in the fourth servant song, which we'll talk about next week. So I'm not going to spend too much time on his suffering because that's the, the focal point of the fourth servant song. And that's where we'll discover that the servant's primary mission is a salvation mission which is somehow accomplished by his suffering and his death. The important point here in this servant song is his obedience in the midst of that. And so the last section of this servant song is about the servant being resolute because of receiving God's help. So verse 7, he says, Therefore I have set my face like flint. That means I've made up my mind and that's what I'm doing. That phrase gets used in a sense in Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, which is actually a, a way of talking about his death, taken up on the cross. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He made up his mind, I'm going to Jerusalem and no one's going to stop me, is what that's saying. The servant is clear about his mission. He's clear about where it leads him. He is listening to God. God is guiding him, and he has made up his mind. That's where he's going. And so the last two verses. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? He who vindicates me, that's talking about God. God is the one who vindicates me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me, so who can declare me guilty? All of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. It's actually kind of using courtroom imagery, if you pick it up. It, it's kind of saying, like, who, who could put me on trial? I'm blameless, is what the servant is saying. God's on my side, so you can't put me down. He's resolute. The servant cannot be stopped. And why? Because it's the sovereign Lord. It's because God is the master. The plan is going to work. It is assured. Nothing and no one can stop the salvation plan because the sovereign Lord is at the heart of it. And that's the end of the servant song. But after the servant song is verse 10 which says this, who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant who walks in darkness and has no light yet trusts in the name of the Lord and relies upon his God? Who among you obeys the voice of God's servant? See, the servant obeyed the voice of God we are to obey the voice of the servant who is described here as one who is walking in darkness without light, yet trusting God. We are to listen to the one who set his face toward Jerusalem. We are to obey the one who walked to his death, yet in it trusted God. The one who placed his life in God's hands as he hung on the cross. That is the one we are to listen to. He listened to God, and we are to listen to him. Easy, right? Easy. Not all the time. 
And here's some keys to what it might mean to obey the voice of the servant. Because these keys are actually embedded in the servant song that we just walked through. Um, so if we can put, go to the next slide here. The first thing to remember, if we're actually serious about obeying what the servant says to us, we have to remember that God is Lord, that he is sovereign, and the implication of that is that we are not. Most of us actually are living our lives during the week as though we are sovereign, as though we're actually the ones in charge, and God is not. And we might come here sometimes on Sundays, and we'll sort of for a little bit of time, we'll worship God and we'll sing the songs and then we'll leave and we'll start living again as though we're sovereign, we're master. But we're supposed to live our whole lives. Obeying the voice of the servant is living your whole life as though God really is God. We've got to stop living as though we are. The second one is to remember that actually the servant was a learner, was a disciple of the the one, of God. And what that meant was an intimate knowledge. Uh, A disciple had to walk alongside the master. And that's what we've got to do with Jesus. If we want to hear and obey, we actually need to put ourselves in the position of being a learner, being a disciple. Walking alongside Jesus paying attention, doing what he did, listening to him. The third thing to remember is that there is always a word for the weary. Or another way of saying this is, it's always good news with Jesus. And Christians can be terrible at this. Okay, because we'll walk around as though it's a drag on us to be Christian. No. No, if, if God is the Lord and, and we're walking alongside with Jesus, I mean, have you read about Jesus and the kinds of things he did? Isn't it wonderful? There's always a message for the weary. Some of us are weary. Some of us are tired. And so forget about four, five, and six on the list. Just stop right here and, and hear that message because you need to hear it. There's always good news with Jesus. And and if you're ready, then let's go to four. The servant learned and listened every day. It wasn't mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience, although Jesus had those, but every single day in prayer with God, listening, learning, moving forward in his faith. It was a daily exercise, a daily discipline. Well, how can we do that? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how we can do that. One way to do that, read the Psalms every day. Five Psalms a day, every every day. You'll be through the Psalms in a month and then start over. It's our prayer book. Another way that's just simple is just spend time in prayer with God every day. If you have trouble with that, then go back to your Psalms because they'll help you. How do we keep moving forward in our faith? Well, we go with the Bible. We go with prayer. We also have our community to grow with and learn from. We have our individual experiences that we will learn from. 
And we have even the traditions of the church that we can grow in and learn from. And all of those things need to be working together. But it's a daily exercise. It's a regular discipline to be hearing and obeying this servant. The fifth thing that we get from this uh, servant song is that a mission is given. Okay, so God does, just doesn't, you know, isn't just revealing truth so that you can carry around truth with you. Well, isn't that wonderful? That's great that you know so much about the Bible. There are people who are Bible study junkies who go to all kinds of Bible studies, and they know so much about the Bible, yet they're somehow missing that there's a mission, and they're actually supposed to do something with their lives for God. There's a mission that's given. God wasn't just giving Jesus knowledge so that he could be really smart and show off for people or something. He gave him a mission, a really hard mission. And I pray that that's not, like, I'm not going to have a mission that leads to my death given to me. I, I, I don't want that, thank you. But each one of us is actually given something by God, a task to do. And always, always, it is for the benefit of others. And then the last thing that we learn is that we can be steadfast and resolute in that mission. Because God is sovereign, it gets us back to number one. Because God is sovereign, if we are actually following what God's mission is, it will not be stopped because of God's help for us. When we are convinced that God is helping us, we'll stand strong in the mission that he's given us. All those things have to be working together. You can't, it, there's a temptation here if you're an action-oriented person, which I know some of you are, that you'll jump to five and six without doing one through four. You'll say, oh yeah, I know what God wants us to do. Let's do that. But, but you've got to have one through four. And Jesus displays that right throughout the Gospels, even himself, who's always going off by himself to pray or taking one or two disciples with him. Let's go pray. You have to have that God is the sovereign. It's not my idea or your idea that's, that's sovereign. It's not our ideas. And you have to have that you're a learner, that it's always good news, it's always for the benefit of others, and it's a daily discipline walking with Jesus. It can also sound like a lot of work, so I want to end just by reminding us of that number three, because I think we need to hear that for ourselves and really claim that, that Jesus came and promised rest for our souls. So yes, there's a mission, but if we get carried away with that and we start getting burnt out with that, or with whatever else is going on in our lives, and we've somehow missed the core mission that Jesus came to bring, is this rest that is available in him. So receive that today. Receive that. Don't be overwhelmed by what Jesus may call you to do, or by, well, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if I can do this daily. Don't be overwhelmed by that. Hear the good news of Jesus, that there's rest for your souls. Amen.